I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Researchers' understanding of certain rare diseases is changing as new sequencing technology is providing new views of the genome. A group of diseases collectively known as repeat expansion disorders, including Fragile X syndrome, Friedrich's ataxia, and Huntington's disease, are being viewed in new ways thanks to the ability to read long fragments of DNA. We spoke to Jonas Korlak, Chief Scientific Officer of Pacific Biosciences, about the company's sequencing technology, how it's changing the understanding of diseases thought to be well understood, and how it may lead to improved diagnostics and therapeutics. Jonas, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to be on the show. We're going to talk about sequencing and and different approaches to sequencing and and how that may affect our understanding of genetic diseases, particularly for a group of diseases that can be considered what's known as repeat expansion disorders. Perhaps we can begin with some basics about how sequencing is done today. I think for most people who don't work inside a lab, sequencing is sequencing. And in general terms, how does sequencing work and, and, and how is a genome read? Um, so there's two different questions. Um, I'll start with the second one. How is genomes read? Uh, typically, you, you take a sample, you extract the DNA, which is obviously in really big pieces, uh, starts with the chromosomes, and then it's, it's sheared um, to smaller size pieces. And uh, the shearing happens randomly, uh, so this is the so-called shotgun sequencing, where uh, you just take random pieces of DNA, you determine the sequence, and then uh, you put all these pieces back in the computer, and uh, uh, assemble it as a giant puzzle and put it, uh, put it together like a puzzle piece. Um, with regard to how the sequencing actually works, that depends on the sequencing method. Um, so, and actually, uh, um, sequencing is no longer sequencing in the sense that, um, you know, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, there was only one sequencing method, which was the Sanger uh, sequencing technology, or, or so-called now first-generation sequencing, and and that was the only sequencing method out there. So people had to adjust their experimental designs to uh, to make it work with that sequencing technology. Now there are many more different types of sequencing technologies, and they work a little bit differently. Um, so um, with uh, both Sanger sequencing and then the short read sequencing, or so-called next generation sequencing. The way it works is um, you have these bunch of DNA fragments, uh, you amplify them, and uh, you basically uh, then read the DNA uh, one base, one step at a, at a time by adding one base and then um, uh, observing which base has been added uh, to uh, the strand of, of, of the, um, the bunch of the DNA molecules. You then uh, flush it uh, and add new reagents. So you, you uh, work stepwise, and you add one base at a time, you read that, and, and you cycle it. Um, with the uh, so-called third-generation sequencing or single-molecule sequencing, that works very differently. Um, there, uh, you're sequencing single individual uh, molecule DNA, and uh, with
DNA polymerase. That's the enzyme that's in, in your in our body makes DNA. And we basically watch, watch that enzyme and what it does naturally. Um, and uh, um, as it is incorporating uh, nucleotides, the bases, the ACGCTs, into a growing strand of DNA, we basically take a movie of that uh, reaction. And so um, uh, with that uh, come different different performance characteristics. And so the short read sequencing technologies, as the name implies, the short reads and long reads can achieve much longer uh, read length. Well, uh, I mean, let, let, let's talk about that. I, I, I think for most people, they think of, you know, genome sequencing being a very holistic process, but you talk about breaking the DNA into pieces and then essentially reassembling it. What is the difference between a short read and a long read, and, and what does that tell us about the, the DNA or doesn't tell us about it? Sure. Um, so short read sequencing um, can generate individual stretches of DNA sequence on the order of maybe 250, 300 bases. Um, and uh, the reason for that, why, why they are so short, is because I mentioned that you have a have a bunch of um, identical DNA molecules from the application, and then one base is added uh, at a time. And so, um, in order to do that, you have to make sure that all of these molecules stay in sync, as it were. Uh, they stay in phase. If uh, this reaction of adding one base at a time is not 100% efficient, and there's nothing that's 100% efficient, uh, then these molecules will gradually get out of phase. They will get out of sync. And so um, that will then degrade the quality the longer you read that DNA molecule, and then eventually it uh, it becomes illegible. And uh, so that's the limitation um, why these reads then uh, are limited to 250 or 300 base pairs um, of sequence. With the uh, long read technology, because it's based on looking at an individual DNA molecule, um, you, you no longer have that requirement of staying in phase because it's just one molecule. And uh, you keep looking at the same molecule, and and uh, the the measurement is no different for the first uh, compared to the um, twenty thousand um, you know um, uh, addition of a base. And so uh, with that, it's it's uh, possible to read much much longer the DNA. So the average um, read length intact biosequencing is now well over ten thousand bases. And um, because some of the polymerase go faster, some of them go slower, you have actually a distribution. There's a long tail in the distribution. So some of the reads are in excess of 50 or 60,000 uh, base pairs, so more than 100-fold longer than um, uh, uh, in the short read technologies. So how complete uh, a view of a genome are we actually getting with a, a short read technology? Are we, are we seeing things with with long reads that we were missing with the short reads? Absolutely. So um, with the short read technologies, um, you're missing um, uh, certain parts of the genome, and um, it's related mainly to two phenomena. Uh, the first is read length, and we just talked about that. And so what happens is there are regions in the genome that are um, so-called repetitive. So they're basically the same sequence, but many, many times over in the um, human genome. And so, uh, actually, you know, um, I think um, over half of the entire genome is made up of repetitive elements. And uh, if that 
um, element is longer than the 250 or 300 base pairs, then um, you get the 250 base pair read from the short read technologies, but you don't know where it came from in the genome because uh, there are literally hundreds of thousands of copies, and uh, um, the sequence is all the same, so you don't know whether it was from chromosome 2 or chromosome 16, and so uh, you can't make sense of that uh, particular sequence in the context of uh, where it came from in the genome or in the context of the assembly. When you have a read that's 20, 30, 40,000 bases, then you can span those repeat elements and you have anchoring unique sequences on both ends, and that tells you where that particular sequence read came from, and uh, you get information. So in terms of the so one limitation is that uh, the sort of technologies are not very good in uh, capturing the uh, repetitive elements in the genome. The second limitation uh, stems from the fact that sorbet technologies are um, not um, are not sequencing all the DNA that's in the genome uh, mainly as a function of GC content. So you know the DNA has A, C, Gs, and Cs, and and they're in various different proportions. And there are regions in the genome that can be very GC-rich, so just a lot of Gs and Cs, and only very few As and Cs. And on the flip side, there are other regions that are very AC-rich, lots of As and Cs in the particular sequence and not very many Gs and Cs. So these extreme sequence contexts where there's only two out of the four bases that make up the DNA in that particular stretch are not sequenced very well um, by technologies and even Sanger technology. So in these extreme regions, um, you will have holes in the genome because you get uh, either no data at all or the data of great quality. And so um, um, those are uh, certain regions that are very difficult or impossible to see or resolve with the short technologies. And the long-reach uh, technology, high-value uh, sequencing, doesn't have this PC bias. And so it gives you uh, the same uh, quality of regardless of what Some researchers have been using specific biosciences sequencers to get new insight into a, a range of rare diseases that are so-called repeat expansion disorders. What is a repeat expansion disorder? Uh, so repeat expansion disorder is a, is a set of uh, a number of genetic disorders which are caused by these so-called repeat expansions. That's the kind of mutation where um, short repeats, like uh, repeats of three bases or four bases, five bases. So with three bases, it be called trinucleoside repeat expansion disorder um, in a certain gene are longer than what is um, healthy um, for that individual. So um, as an example, in Huntington's disease, you have the CAG, a trinucleotide repeat, um, and um, um, there's a correlation that uh, the longer that particular region in the gene, the CAG, 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 and so forth, the longer that particular uh, piece is in that individual, the more severe uh, the disease will be. And so uh, because of what I just talked about, the bias and the ability to sequence uh, these particular uh, low complexity uh, repeats, um, they're particularly difficult to uh, many of these um, uh, disease loci in the genome. Uh, the particular regions that are causative for the disease are difficult to uh, um, read with the short read sequencers, but they're possible to do that with um, psychiatry. 
Is this changing our perception or understanding of these diseases? Are we seeing them in a new way? Yes, I would definitely think so because, uh, um, you know, you and Ashley, uh, who's at Stanford, uh, they are the director of the um, uh, genetics department. Um, you know, he gave a talk at um, last GCBC meeting in Florida, uh, calling that's entitled "Towards Precision Medicine," and, and he made a very, uh, I think, powerful statement. He said, "If you can't, if you can't see it, you can't call it." And so, um, what that means is that if you can't sequence previously these types of uh, repeats and these repeat expansions then it's very difficult to get a detailed understanding of the molecular mechanisms of the disease. And now, um, with unbiased, uh, long sequencing, you get a much better view of um, the genetic blueprint of this individual, how they are affected, how that correlates to their um, severity of the disease. The PAC biotechnology is sequencing parts of the genome that have been previously considered unsequenceable. Can, can you explain the concept? of unsequenceable and how much of a limitation that's been in understanding the genetics driving disease? Yeah, so um, this, this uh, concept of unsequenceable uh, relates to the um, to the notion that these are regions in the genome, uh, many of which underlie the um, repeat expansion diseases, have not been accessible to um, the short-read sequencing technologies and even Sanger sequencing. And so, um, this has uh, been a quite a limitation to understanding uh, the drivers and the underlying mutations. And uh, um, you know, now I, I think there is a there's a there's a method and a technology out there that um, provides access to that. Well, let's talk about the work of Paul Hagerman, a researcher at the University of California, Davis, who's studying fragile X syndrome. Well, what is fragile X? Um, fragile X syndrome is uh, the most common uh, cognitive impairment. Um, so it's a, it's a brain disease. It's a neurological disease, the most common uh, form of cognitive impairment, um, particularly uh, prevalent in males, among the female. And uh, it's a type of uh, repeat expansion disorder. So there is a, a region on the chromosome X, and uh, it goes like this. So CGG, 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 CGG. And... Uh, the longer that uh, stretch of CGG trinucleotide repeats is, the more severe the disease uh, can be. There's other um, uh, associated uh, syndromes um, with that as well, uh, premature menopause, uh, some ataxia, uh, which is a form of a, a tremor. And so uh, this is a very important region, and um, uh, you know, fragile X syndrome is, is one of the most uh, debilitating diseases. And so. What Paul did um, in a paper that described in a paper that he actually called sequencing the unsequenceable is using tech biotechnology to um, fully sequence through those CGG repeats and uh, uh, resolving both the length and the sequence context. Now, I told you that it's basically a CGG repeat, but uh, there's more to the story actually because uh, in certain um, types of um, uh, individuals uh, that have a length of about sort of between 70 and 90 bases of the CGG repeat, these are so-called pre-mutation carriers, um, it's very critical to understand at the actual sequence level whether there are one or two A bases interspersed in that stretch CGG. And 
reason why that's important is because um, having those one or two A's dramatically reduces your risk as a mother to give um, uh, birth to a son that has the full fragile X uh, syndrome. So if the mother has two A's in that particular region, her risk uh, is only about 20%. If she doesn't, her risk is about 80%. So you can see that it has dramatic implications for um, uh, you know, uh, prenatal diagnostics and parental counseling uh, to know in detail about the genetic makeup of, of uh, those particular individual uh, children. My understanding is Fragile X was thought to be well understood. How has this work changed the understanding of Fragile X, and what did the, the use of long reads allow him to understand that, that previously wasn't understood? So it, it's true that, you know, the locus of the particular region in the genome that causes the disease is well understood, but uh, uh, it was possible to sequence this region and really resolve uh, at the base pair level, um, like I just mentioned, with the A basis um, interspersed in those regions. Uh, and sometimes, um, you know, there are other surprises. So the methods right now, um, until tech biosequencing came along, have been very indirect that uh, you don't actually use, use PCR and you just look at a fragment and, and estimate its length. But um, you don't get uh, real sequence information. You don't get the uh, sequence of the DNA, so you would miss those eight. And sometimes, you know, there can be surprises. So I, I uh, have heard that there were samples where the PCR product gave a certain length, but then it was sequenced with PecBio, and it turned out that it wasn't actually as long of a CGG repeat, but there was a duplication up front of the CGG repeat that just made it look like um, there was a, a big PCR fragment and it made it look like there was a long CGG expansion. So um, you'll get a much better and much more detailed understanding of what is going on at the critical locus in the genome and that uh, ultimately um, is certainly going to help um, understand the disease and, and uh, um, uh, you know, then in turn uh, give you a better handle on possible treatment. This goes beyond diagnostic implications, but also to potential new therapeutics. Yeah, and so you know that that's ultimately, obviously, the um, the goal. And uh, um, like I said before, if you can't uh, see it, you can't call it, and you can't think about how to uh, treat it, and so forth. So uh, certainly, in terms of diagnosis, and ultimately, then uh, going towards how can we uh, approach this for therapeutics. You know that that's going to be down the line. The first uh, you know, we as a technology provider want to give the research community the tools to really see that um, particular um, uh, locus or see the underlying genetic uh, causes of uh, certain diseases. And then it's up to the, you know, the diagnostic companies and the pharma companies to, uh, and the clinical uh, researchers to uh, um, take that information and uh, uh, think about there are several other rare diseases that are considered repeat expansion disorders, including uh, ataxia, spinal cerebular ataxia, and, and Huntington's disease. Are, are they also being looked at in this way? And is this changing our understanding of these other diseases as well? Yes, absolutely. So uh, uh, spinal cerebellar ataxia, I think, is a great example. There were, there were two very nice publications um, on their different types. Uh, so spinal cerebral attack is type 10 and type 31, um, showing that uh, the 
there's quite a variation in the diversity of the um, repeat expansion uh, in particular patients. So um, these are regions in the genome that are quite unstable. They're, they're structurally very diverse. They're very dynamic. And what that means is that each patient will have a different um, uh, particular constitution of those, of those repeats. So in these publications, the researchers characterize fully um, the full complexity of those particular uh, repeat uh, areas. So, for example, in spinal cerebellar ataxia, it's not as simple as just having a CCD repeat. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole region that can be, uh, let's say, 3,000 bases long, and it's made up of a very complex pattern of uh, uh, pentanucleotide and tetranucleotide repeats that can be uh, alternating and changing. And so, really, you need uh, the long-reading uh, um, technologies uh, like PecBio to get through um, this particular region of 3,000 bases in one single uninterrupted read to uh, resolve the full complexity. And just as before with Fragile X, it gives the researchers a much more detailed view of what's going on uh, that was not possible before and uh, um, give it gaining a better understanding of the disease, how the particular genetic uh, composition correlates with the phenotype, with the severity of the disease, and then uh, uh, giving a, a hopefully a better diagnosis for patients in the future. Jonas Korlak, Chief Scientific Officer of Pacific Biosciences. Jonas, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.